people are trying to do extraordinary superhuman things with their bodies and they're not looking for balance. They're looking to just be superhuman and do extraordinary things and be be out of balance essentially. And so it's very fun to be a part of and then they also need time for recovery. And so trying to balance that yang of action and the event and the game and whatever that is with the yin of recovery and sleep and digestion. And I have to support both phases with what I'm doing. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. In his little gem of a book on the process and path of creativity, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield talks about the greatest obstacle that every person on some kind of creative and generative endeavor is guaranteed to meet, resistance. Resistance will use your own voice to lie and trick you. It will tell you that the world is unfair and that you're undeserving because other people have had it worse than you. Resistance will take any doubt you have about yourself and worship it as a false idol. It's a malevolent force, and if you think the world is without malevolence, you're both wrong and potentially in deep trouble. When you're jealous of the accomplishments of others, that's resistance talking and telling you that you don't have to try because you're already better than that. It's a lie. You aren't, at least not yet, but you can be. Just remember that potential and two bucks get you a cup of coffee made by a barista who probably has a dream and a long story on why they aren't living it. Resistance is that lazy part of you that tells you it's okay to skip steps. It's not. It's that thought that you've got plenty of time. You don't. It's that voice that tells you that you're already capable. You don't need to prove it, which is also a lie. Resistance shows up anytime you're looking to do something you've never done. Attempt anything worthwhile, be it a book, a business, or a kiss at exactly the right moment of an utterly delightful first date. It will give you a pass for sure when you argue for a smaller version of yourself or rest the blame for your failings and shortcomings on society the inherent fairness of the world, or whatever your favoritism is that you subscribe to, you know which ones I'm talking about. You might think I'm being dramatic, and resistance is nothing more than the headwind generated when you run or bike a little faster. Resistance would like for you to believe that because you'll think it's tame and benign, a sign of progress. But in reality, resistance has it out for you, like a jealous sibling but with a touch of insanity, like an ex-partner who actually enjoys it when you're miserable and weak. The voice of resistance gives a nudge to your attitudes and beliefs about how those in power are with intent manipulating things to keep you down, but those societal forces don't actually think of you as an individual. However, resistance does. It has your number. There's no reasoning with or striking a deal with resistance. The only bargains it makes are those clearly in its favor. It will praise you one moment, call you rotten the next. It wants nothing more than to break your will. And here's the kicker. This malevolent force that wants to stop you from doing your creative and generative work, it doesn't come from the outside. It's part of the human mind. But lucky for us, it's not part of the human heart. The heart 
is the one place you can go to abide, to rest, and launch your counterattack of courage, determination, and knowing how to discern the lie of the mind. That's how you fight resistance. Along with sitting down and doing the work, be it the accounting system for your new practice, the book you're writing, the business plan that will include vacations with airplane tickets, or the new set of skills that will allow you to help more people. Doing the work of making things better is the way to deal with resistance. You'll have to give up your excuses, let go of the smaller image of yourself, forgive society, your parents, and your luck. Those people suffering more than you are, you don't help them by keeping yourself small. It's not your job to save the world. It's your job to make your corner of it better. Any hatred you have for yourself, resistance will take it and use it against you. Any bad opinions you have of other people, resistance will hold that mirror up to you as well. Whatever idle chatter you have about people you like to dislike, count on resistance taking it and weaponizing it against you. Resistance loves it when you say that you can't. It apparently, with loving concern, will invite you to complain about how hard things are, all the while knowing that you're talking yourself into your own limitations. Count on resistance to know all the chinks in your armor and passwords to your secret hard drives. It's the evil witch who casts the spell of having you argue for your limits and then blaming your failures on someone or something else. You aren't alone when it comes to your struggle with resistance. Anyone who has set out to make the world better or a more interesting place has come up against this maelstrom. It's unavoidable. And it will take all the courage and fortitude that you have because you have to give up your excuses and let go of weaknesses that you mistakenly identified as virtue. It's not for the faint of heart. Buckle up. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, Hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, 
planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Something about the world of no excuses, fierce accountability, digging deep into your passion and work. Going against inertia and homeostasis is hard. Complex systems have set points, a groove that might not be optimal, but it is stable. It takes fierce accountability and effort to push yourself into a new set of habits or capacity. In this conversation with Jenny Neeters, we discuss her work with treating professional athletes and some of the unique insights that she's gleaned from working with people who are at the top of their game and always pushing for a little bit more. You don't build up an athletic body without also exercising your shen, yi, and jir. I think you'll enjoy this acupuncturist's perspective on treating members of the big leagues. Let's get into it. Jenny Neeters, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. I am delighted to have you. We met some years ago at a sports acupuncture conference. Yes. I think there was a panel. We had lunch together. Now we're finally here. (laughs) I remember you asked me, you were walking around the crowd and you asked me a question about what I was thinking of the conference, which I wish we had more of those. It was so great to be in community. We're going to get them back. I hope so. With a vengeance, you wait and see. I just signed up for a class, not online. I signed up for a class in person. 
So I just taught with Whitfield Reeves in person twice this year, and I'm so excited about it. It feels fantastic to be with people, especially needling. Isn't that delicious to be in each other, even an introvert like me? Same. Yeah. Yeah, Very introverted. Yes. But being in the presence of other people is somehow, I think, important. Our nervous systems are built for it. Yeah. So I never, working in the NFL this past couple of years, I never was without lots of people Mm. this whole time. But being with people in the communities outside of that community and outside of my clinic, that's what I really missed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. That's why I'm psyched in July. I'm going to be in a class in person with other acupuncturists. I can't wait to go out for sushi afterwards. Yeah, that's what we do. It's all going to be so good. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah, yeah. So you just said NFL, National Football League. I did. Yes, you did. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on here. You're, pun intended, playing in the big leagues. I guess so. It's such a treat, too. (laughs) And so, yes, I just started my fourth season with the San Francisco 49ers. And it's so wonderful to work with them because I get to be part of a very collaborative team of people and people who are just passionate about their work and about their jobs and all striving for a common goal. And they value an acupuncturist doing acupuncture. They value me and my skill set. And it's so lovely to be well respected in that domain as an acupuncturist and not as a yeah. athletic trainer doing needling or as a, what so many other sports are doing. So it's lovely. So when you say respected as an acupuncturist, mm-hmm. is this by the team, like, this, like the athletes? Is this the other people you're collaborating with? Who is it that's respecting you as an acupuncturist? And then I want to get into finding out what do you mean by respected as an acupuncturist? So it's two questions. So my boss at the end of last season said, I really want to thank you for your professionalism this year. And he is kind of directing player health and performance and coordinating the PTs, the athletic trainers, the strength and conditioning, the functional movement people, the massage therapists, and the acupuncturists, of which I am one. There are two on staff. So it was a great compliment. And I can tell, so when I first started, there were a few guys that would come to me and it And then eventually, as the years have gone on, they have me there more and more, have me doing a little more travel here and there, sending people to me from the physical therapy department or the training room are coming over saying, I was told to come see you. So they value my input. And one of the head PTs is from another state where he was legally allowed to do dry needling. Mm. And so... He still values me doing the work. And in addition to the anatomical considerations of supporting functional movement, injury recovery, performance, strength, loading, range of motion, all of that, muscle tension, they also value like the parasympathetic activation and the mental, emotional, spiritual parts of Chinese medicine. And some people are more open to that than others. 
And some people just want you to fix their tight hamstring, but some people really want to know how that is connected to the superficial water and Tai Yong and the neck and the channels and why I might do a point that's not on the hamstring for that. The superficial water of Tai Yong. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, you sound like a physical therapist. And I'm always thinking in Chinese medicine terms, water and wood and gallbladder channel and Shaoyang and how does that relate to the liver and this movement patterns of femoral centration and how do we get the femur to rotate and is the gluteus medius, which is Shaoyang, and how is that relating to the adductors, which are in this kind of push-pull for control of the femur? <laughs> and, and how does that impact the shoulders and the opposite shoulder and these kind of cross-body connections? But I'm thinking in terms of Taiyang, Shaoyang, water, wood, what time of year is it? How's this person sleeping? Is the tip of their tongue red? Like feeling their pulses. But I don't always talk about that with people. I might just say, how are you sleeping lately? Yeah. Are you having vivid dreams lately? Do you like that? Or is it keeping you from resting? Like some people like that. They want that. I love it. You're an honest to God acupuncturist doing the work, right? You just shared with us, here's what's going through my mind as an acupuncturist. And I suspect those of us, li people listening right now, they're shaking their head. Yeah, right. Of course. How else would you think about it? And yet, when we speak to our patients, when we speak to the people we're working with or the people that we're collaborating with, we have to translate it instantaneously into something that would land for them in a way that we can continue the conversation. Yes. So you're bilingual. <laughs> Sometimes I do better than others. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just trying to figure it out each time. It seems like it's a puzzle, each person. Each day. I think that is the lovely part of the work. I mean, could you imagine going into your clinic and like every day, oh yeah, this is this, this is that, this is this. It'd be like screwing handles on a car on an assembly line. Yeah. Yeah. What is this now in front of me? What do you do when you're not quite sure what to do? I get really simple. Ah. <laughs> oh. I get when things are really complex and I can't figure it out or I call a friend. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And a friend might be another acupuncturist, but it might be when I really get stuck with someone, or it might be someone else from another modality. And I just say, what do you think about this? And mm -hmm. like I had someone who had some really inflamed Achilles, and usually my treatment works great for that. And in this particular case, it kept coming back. And you know, it's reasonable to think, okay, this person's in the NFL and they're really beating themselves up. But last year we didn't have this problem and they were also beating themselves up. So what's different now? So talking to the functional movement person for the team, he said, well, have you checked his T-spine mobility? Like he, when he runs with the ball, he's in this position and I'm not a football player and never have been. I wasn't really thinking of that. And I said, no, let me look at that. And so we started working on that area. And that was really helpful. It took the pressure off. Thoracic spine. For that person, yeah. In that issue. Wow. Yeah. That must be really cool having these other people 
right at your fingertips. It's pretty amazing. That you can collaborate with. Yeah. Speaking a different language, but still you got your hands on the same elephant, so to speak. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Because it's constantly opening my eyes to new things that I wasn't seeing before. Of course. Our patients are always asking that of us anyway. I love what you say about when it's complex, mm. you get simple. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jenny, I hear you say it, and I just feel this like space in my chest, like soften and go, ah, yeah, that's right. That just sounds right. I try to be simple anyway, because every needle that I put in, I want to have a reason why I'm using it. I don't want to just throw a bunch of needles in and hope something works out for the person. It never does. <laughs> but also, I don't learn anything from that treatment about whether or not I was on track with my diagnosis or, mm. or what worked. I don't know. If there's too many needles, I just can't tell what had an impact or didn't. So, I have found the same exact thing, that if I can be clear with my diagnosis and stand by it, right or wrong, stand by it, treat based on it, then the feedback is way clearer. And whenever I do that little thing, and I don't think I've done it in years now, actually, because it kept messing me up. But that thing about, oh, I'm going to cover my bases with this, this, and that, it always muddied the results. It never helped. Yeah. My fault, though, is that what you just said about sticking with it. Like, if I didn't fix something within the first three treatments, then I start to be like, like, if I didn't see a significant change after the first treatment mm -hmm. to know I was on track with my diagnosis and really have something pretty much on track or resolved, then I am like trying to keep myself from throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And sometimes people's bodies just need a little bit of patience. So that's my mm, weakness mm. that I am constantly having to work on. And I learned that lesson again last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me clarify that. And then I want to hear your lesson. I want to clarify it by saying what I mean by stick by my diagnosis is in that treatment. Mm. I stick by that diagnosis. And then if nothing happens, I still continue. Maybe they need more. If something good happens, okay, great. Double down. If I get an adverse reaction, pivot immediately. Yeah. That within the treatment... I don't go off of what I think I see. Yeah. So tell us about your experience the other day. So I had, have been working with a new patient recently who is a photographer, and she had a hip pain issue and a wrist pain issue. So when she was trying to do a push-up, she had pain just with her wrist extension. And she thought maybe it was from her editing and holding her camera. Mm. And so I did one treatment and no change in the wrist. The hip resolved and I was, okay, we can forget about the hip. Let's look at the wrist again. Looked at the forearm, the wrist and the shoulder again. And the second treatment, she came back and said, I don't know, maybe. The third treatment, she came back 90% better. But at that third treatment, I was about ready to refer her out mm -hmm. for imaging or something else because I was just like, this is what I'm doing is not working and I don't want to waste her time and money. 
And I would expect, if it was what I thought it was, that we would at least see some progress. Within three treatments. Yeah. And it turns out she came back on the third treatment and said, yeah, I'm significantly improved. And she said she had no pain with editing and at all. And she went and did a class in Texas for like four days to learn a new style and had no pain at all. And I was like, that's great. (laughs) But it was now just a little bit during the push-up. So... everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. God, sometimes acupuncture is like magic. Yeah, it is. It feels like magic to me a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. What do you consider magic to be? I think magic is mostly like you didn't understand why something worked. (laughs) (laughs) I think then you call it magic. Although I don't know. I mean, it may be much bigger than that, but I know a lot of, like a lot of, I work with the rugby team as well. And a lot of those kids, college rugby, they'll say, oh, it's voodoo. You're a witch. And I was just, uh, I had an uncle whose friend went and studied voodoo and he was explaining to me the voodoo. And I was like, oh, to me, voodoo was always so foreign. You just call something voodoo when you don't understand it. But right, I suppose if you understand it, like for me, the kid who couldn't lift his shoulder and then we needled small and after we tested the different muscles, we needled small intestine 12 on the supraspinatus and for two minutes and then he could lift his shoulder with no pain. And then for him, that's voodoo. That's magic. And I'm a witch. That's magic. And I'm like, well, and then that kid, he apologized. I'm sorry, I called you a witch. And I was like, ever since I was 12, I really wanted to be one. So for me, that's yeah, a compliment. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I was a kid, I read a lot of science fiction. And, oh gosh, now I'm going to murder this. It's either Isaac Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke. I think Arthur C. Clarke, who said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? So if you took a big like lighter, just like a little hand lighter, right? If you took that back 500 years, magic, right? Right. Or you bring something forward like we have with the medicine we practice, and if you don't have the mental framework to put around it, it's magic, it's voodoo, it's, let me call it what you want, woo-woo. Right. Right, you're a witch, you're a magician, because they just, 
They don't. So I was working with a uh, rugby player in Paris at the Paris Sevens tournament from Team USA, and he had trouble turning his neck to one side. And I poked around on him, and it looked like he had a tight levator scapula. And he said it had been going on for two days, and could I help? And I said, "Uh, we can try. So I said, and he, two-time Olympian, one of the top rugby players in the world, and he said, Jenny, I'm putting my body in your hands. And he was very serious about it. And I was like, and a little nervous. It's the first time we'd work together. I said, okay, I'm going to explain everything I do, why I'm doing it. And we're going to work together. And if something feels uncomfortable, we're going to take the needle out right away. Like it's not, you were just going to communicate. And I said, that said, the first thing I'm going to do is prick a point on your finger, on your pinky finger. And I don't have a great explanation for it. And I was treating the tendon muscle meridian with the small intestine one. Since then, I studied with Pony Chang, took a class, and he had a fun explanation for that, that it was that the capillary beds are super rich there and are rich in smooth muscle and that it's creating this autonomic nervous system response through the smooth muscle connection. And I was like, well, that's a better explanation than I don't know why this is going to work. But it may or may not. We're going to try it. So in in fact, it did work. He had about, I want to say, 50-60% improvement in his range of motion just from that point. Yeah, just that one needle. So I often start there just to see how we do. It doesn't always work, but it works enough of the time that it's worth checking out to just prick and do maybe 10 drops of blood. <laughs> so, Yeah. And then after that, I did a small intestine six and I stimulated it while I had him move his head and that improved. I'd say maybe we got another 10 degrees of movement. And then I went directly onto the levator scapula at small intestine 13, 14 with a little stem and left it for about five, 10 minutes. And the tight band that was there went away and his range of motion back with his lateral lateral rotation, lateral flexion of his neck. And it was less than 20 minutes and he scored the next day and was very happy. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. It is remarkable to me how quickly we can get effects with acupuncture. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes you really hit it out of the ballpark, pun intended. And it's magic to everyone involved. I mean, even us who understand it. It's like, wow, a human body can respond that quickly. That's nothing short of extraordinary. I'm giggling all the time at work <laughs> because I'm like, well, that worked awesome. <laughs> That's so great. People are like, didn't you expect it to work? I was like, I did. And it's really cool. Well, we do expect it to work. I don't know about you or the listeners. I expect it to work, but I never know exactly for sure what it is that's going to make it work. I've always got an idea. I've got a place to begin. Yeah. And sometimes that will do it. But like you were just describing, okay, bleed the Jingwell point. Wow, instantly quite a bit better. But still on palpation, there's still a pretty... But you're not done yet. It's like, what comes next? Yeah. Yeah. So Whitfield in his teaching, who has been my mentor, Whitfield Reeves, Mm. he has a really nice kind of way that he calls the four steps of kind of being able to access access those different things so you can like, okay, I might start with the Jing Wells or something empirical, and then maybe I'm looking at like some other system 
before I go to the local anatomical tissue. And so there's just sort of like a systematic way to approach things so that you're like, hmm, what else is there? If I didn't get where I wanted to get, what else is in my toolbox? That's very nice. Yeah. How do you incorporate the eight extras with the work that you do? Oh, I mean, I often use them. Like in my clinic, I would say I use them more. So I might do, like if I have someone who has a tight hip and a lack of spinal rotation or pain with spinal flexion or extension, like they can't bend over to put their shoes on or their socks on. Maybe I have them in a lateral recumbent position and I'm treating the gluteus medius and the quadratus lumborum. And then I'm thinking, okay, die my and do my potentially. So I might cross the dimai on one side on opposite sides of the body and connect stem to it and then do the do my points on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. And I may have the stem there on the dimai for a few minutes with needles and say the gluteus medius, which to me is Xiaoyang and kind of a pivoting it's stabilizing the pelvis in the lateral plane. So it's lateral stabilization with um, in the frontal plane. So like kind of keeping you level upright. No one could see that move. I just did. I- <laughs> yeah. Now, when you're working with the eight extras, are you working with points mm-hmm. on the eight extras? You're doing the master couple points like they do with Japanese acupuncture. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm doing. Master couple points. Yeah. And you're doing them with e-stem, not ion pumping cords. Yeah, I don't use ion pumping cords. Hmm. I just use e-stem. Cool. It's the first time I've heard that idea. Oh, we can credit Wit for that. <laughs> That's where I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wit. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I had one patient who owns one, a big gym in town, and she had what she was calling SI joint instability and in her squats and deadlifts, and it was painful in her low back. And I put the needles in her and did not have the outcome I was expecting. She, everything just tightened up on her and it was like really bad. And I wasn't sure what to do because clearly she had this pathology. This is where it was tight. And my local treatment was certainly aggravating everything. And Mm -hmm. I ended up calling wit and saying, which is why it's nice to have a mentor to just have someone on speed dial who has more experience than you and say, okay, like I'm in the weeds on this one and I, I really want to get it right. What else can I do? And he said, don't treat locally. Do the Daimai and the Dumai crossed with 0.0 on the ear on her dominant side. And it turns out for her, that treatment fixed her back issues. And I never went to the low back locally again until much later after we had sort of cleared that extraordinary vessel issue that something changed there for her. And then if she ever then had a local issue, we could go back to that. And then there was one other patient over the years who was also like a type A kind of wiry, tendony type person who was very amped. And for him, that was also what I needed to do. Crossing the do and the die. So you would be doing like all bladder 41 on one side. Mm -hmm. Triple burner five on the other, UB62 on one, small intestine three on the other. And now, when you put on the stem, mm-hmm. does it matter which is plus minus, or you just want to get some stem on there? So, I just use the eStem2 machine, which is a very simple machine. And I just 
attach the leads, tape them down so they don't pull out. And with paper tape, find that unsticks better than the other tape. Mm -hmm. And then I just keep it about eight to 10 hertz. And then I just say, tell me when you feel a little tapping. And I turn up the intensity until I feel a gentle tapping. I want it to be really light tapping. I want them to feel it, but I don't want it to be intense. I want to be working with their nervous system mm-hmm. and not kind of overpowering things. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. I'm going to pull out my e-stim machine. Oh, it's great. I don't do a lot of e-stim. I've experimented with it in the past, but I never felt like I grokked it. I never felt like I really got e-stim. I should probably talk to some more e-stim people. So here's the thing. Like if you talk to the e-stim people, they're so... They've done so much research and they've got so many things and use this frequency for this and that frequency for that. And mm-hmm. this is stimulating dopamine and this is doing other things. And I, I don't do any of that. <laughs> All I do simple. is super simple. Yeah. And it seems to work. And I just kind of keep it low at that eight to 10 hertz and people's bodies take it and run with it. So you can get as complex as you want to be. Or if you just want to dip your toe in the water, you could just do what I'm saying and see how it goes, which for me, it goes quite well most of the time. Yeah. I like dipping my toe in the water with something simple. I have a hard time with complexity and partly because I've got this idea that there's got to be some first principles behind anything we do. And if I can somehow grasp the basics and and get the basics to work, now I've got a foundation that I can work off of with my experience. Yeah. And that always adds more. And it's not coming from someone telling me something. It's coming from my clinical work telling me something. So something simple like this that is clinically going to show up in the next week or two, because it does for all of us, I can give it a whirl. Yeah. So this combination, I would say, like, if it's the low back, then... Put your bladder 62 on the affected side. If it's the neck, put your SI3 on the affected side. Like if that's where the stagnation is. I see that. (laughs) Yes, yes. I had a patient last week. Essentially, he was talking about his dimine. I've got this issue with my pelvis. There's this, there's that. I keep going, oh, that's a dimine. I treated the dimine for him, but I didn't do this. What Daimai points did you use? Oh, triple burner five and gallbladder 41. I actually did them bilaterally. And then instead of e-stim, I've been doing a lot of Sa'am acupuncture lately. I just wanted to move some stagnation. I just wanted to get in there and bust it up. Yeah. So I tonified the small intestine, which is half of the urinary bladder and small intestine combo for the dew. And how did it go? Went great. Nice. I took the needles out, and sometimes you take the needles out, you look at their eyes, and their eyes look so different from when they first walked in. They're like soft, the pupils are a little more dilated, right? It's that like been somewhere helpful look, right? Had that. And they made another appointment. So whenever a new patient makes another appointment, that's also a good sign that, yes, more please. I, I think that might be helpful. Nice. Oh, that's great. NFL. Mm. How does a nice acupuncturist like you end up at the NFL? 
How does something like that happen? I mean, it's got to be a lot of serendipity. <laughs> I, uh, I think because I certainly didn't know anything about football and I wasn't looking for it. You weren't looking for it. No, I was. I mean, I treated a few NFL players in my clinic, which is in Alameda, which was close to the Raiders training facility. So they kind of found me that way, a few guys. And then how it actually worked was that I was working for the college rugby team. And that coach is very well regarded in the rugby community at St. Mary's College. And when the Rugby World Cup came to the United States in San Francisco, the organizers of the World Cup asked him if he knew any people who could help with player welfare. And so he recommended me and also the massage therapist for the team. And so we worked that World Cup event, which was amazing, like 70 treatments in a week on players from 14 different countries. And that was extraordinary to do and be a part of. And Someone that I met at that event invited me to come work the NBA Summer League uh, Retired Players Association event that they were doing some health care work with. So I went to that event. And those people also invited me to work at the NBA All-Stars for the same type of thing. Someone I met there, a chiropractor, knew someone at the 49ers. And then when Kai, who was their previous acupuncturist, left there was an opening there. And so the next thing I know, I'm getting, because I have a generic fill out a form if you have a question on my website that strangers can reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And I got this generic thing, would you be willing to come down and work for the 49ers? This like generic on my website thing. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) "Uh, yeah, that's a yes. (laughs) I'm willing. I've got a job for you. Yeah. And I was like, well, they, of course, they wanted me to treat some people and see how it went. Um, but yeah. but they didn't ask where I went to college or what my qualifications were or any of that. But I think also since 2015, I've been either assisting Whitfield Reeves teaching or teaching in his program. And I think just being able to easily explain what I'm doing to people and why I'm doing it, it just makes it easier for people to understand. And then also my husband is an acupuncturist. And before I became an acupuncturist, I ran our family's clinic for 16 years. And so I was very accustomed to dealing with the patients and interacting with people and explaining what was going on. And he also taught for many years in the acupuncture schools, practice management and medical ethics. And I used to do some of the research for him on his courses as he was getting his material together to present to students. And so I saw a lot of what went wrong for acupuncturists, such that they were had some ethical problems in the world and had problems with their licensure. And I saw a lot of, this is how you write soaps and this is how you do things. So I think like my ability to communicate on paper also what I'm doing and to write a good soap note. And here's my assessment And here's my needles and here's the changes from the treatment, the response to the treatment and doing that in a language that people understand, I think also makes it easy for people to say yes to having you work with them. Yes. Well, we talked about this a little bit earlier. 
when you're working with a player or you're working with a colleague who doesn't know Chinese medicine, you're thinking Chinese medicine, and then you're translating like simultaneous translation on the fly into, I'm not going to say plain English, although it might be plain English, but it might be complicated anatomical PT talk, if that's your target audience. Right. That you're trying to help them to understand. And so being able to talk about what we do in a way that others can go, oh, I get that. That makes sense. Because if we start talking about like moving the chi in the gallbladder channel, people's eyes are rightly going to glaze over because it makes no sense. Right. And people want medicine. They don't want, well, they want the effects of magic, but they don't want magic. They want medicine. They, well, they'd like to understand why something worked. We all do. Yeah. Or didn't work. Especially when you're a practitioner, we have to understand why it didn't work. That keeps us moving. So life is like this, isn't it? It's just serendipitous. We can end up in places we had no intention of going. Absolutely. It's like you're following a certain thread because it's interesting. And then you get an email, come work for the 49ers. Yeah. I had worked with baseball players and professional and collegiate rugby players and some Olympians, but a couple NFL guys. I mean, I didn't even know the positions on offense and defense and and I had no understanding of the game. I mean, now I actually enjoy the game and understand that the mental aspect of it and it's fun for me, but I, I mean, I'm still learning. It's only four years into it. I feel like it, I'll probably be learning for a long time. Sure. I'm not, well, being a, a small scrawny dude, you know, football was never a thing that was really open to me. It has not been a sport that I've really followed. I don't really understand it. But I want to ask you a question here. Because I look at rugby, which I don't understand much either. I look at football. Yeah. They look really, really similar. Mm -hmm. Except the guys playing rugby aren't wearing a lot of armor. They're running around in their underwear. Yeah. So the difference really is like in football, like every inch of territory matters. And so people are hitting hard to stop from gaining territory. In rugby, it doesn't matter until someone crosses over the line at the end of the field. That's when they score. So the hits are more rolling. And it's also about releasing the ball quickly once you do go down. And so I'd say rugby is more like jujitsu <laughs> or aikido. Mm, it's okay. kind of rolling and uh -huh. moving. And Football is much more like a hard style, like a kung fu or a karate. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's a really helpful image. Thank you. And do you see the injuries that come from each of those? Is there like a more propensity for certain kinds of injuries in football versus rugby? Rugby has its own like, oh, yeah, we see this in a lot of rugby players. In 15s rugby, I see a lot of AC joint because people are in like the scrums and they come together with their shoulders and they're hitting hard or they're landing hard on the ground. In football, you can just have a wide variety depending on the position. But I mean, my goal is always, I mean, yes, I'm helping with injuries, but I'm always hoping to get there to help with performance and first before people are injured just so they feel good and can move well. Cool. So talk to us a little bit about helping to give athletes an unfair advantage by enhancing performance. That's a great, I mean, our <laughs> medicine is all about 
prevention anyway. So why can't we use it to enhance performance and take something that's already working well and make it work better? Athletes are always looking for what can, I mean, if it's a part of a second that makes a difference in terms of speed and whether you're a first round draft pick or an undrafted free agent, or you win the Olympics or not, I mean, of course you get 10 degrees more of length in the hamstring. You have more ability for your femur to move and transfer power through your pelvis up, send it out into the world. If you're a quarterback or a pitcher and you can throw better farther with more clarity and control, if there's a piece of it where you can just calm your mind and get a good night's sleep, Mm. but you know, I mean, absolutely all of that is contributing. And I mean, athletes are, someone was saying the other day, like, so I have an intern shadowing me right now. She said in Chinese medicine, we're, we're always looking to balance the person and what you're doing. I said, what I'm doing in orthopedics in my clinic is yes, but what I'm doing for athletics is not that. People are trying to do extraordinary superhuman things with their bodies and they're not looking for balance. They're looking to just be superhuman and do extraordinary things and be be out of balance essentially. And so it's very fun to be a part of. And then they also need time for recovery. And so trying to balance that yang of action and the event and the game and whatever that is with the yin of recovery and sleep and digestion. And I have to support both phases with what I'm doing. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about supporting that in phase. What kind of work do you do in, in helping people to rest and restore? Well, I mean, I think it varies person by person. And if people are looking for that from me, some are, some aren't. And for the ones who are open to it, I think the main thing that I've heard from athletes that they really value is being heard Mm. and just being accepted for where they are in the moment whether it's they have a signed contract or an unsigned contract, or if this is a big game, or if their kid kept them up at night, or and they have to show up, or if their kid brother got arrested in another state, and you're in, it's like things are happening in their lives. And so just like sometimes just doing a treatment where maybe it's 
yin tang and maybe liver three and li4 for the four gates or cv17 i really like for them too mm-hmm. just help this regulate all the chi of the body i also really like small intestine five through to heart seven just to calm the busy mind and sometimes i pair that with gallbladder 40 yeah so those are like my kind of general combinations if the person wants help for their busy mind and just to calm things down i'm more that small intestine five through to heart seven if it's more body pain or just kind of amped up maybe four gates or but it just also it's like just listening to see where they're at and what they need and sometimes just being heard is enough to shift the energy in and of itself and you don't need a needle yeah so they are no different than any other patient that we see on our day-to-day basis yeah i got my life and my life is Except the only difference is they don't live in a world of excuses oh god i love it they don't live in a world of excuses so how does that change things oh it's so extraordinary to be around first of all it's invigorating and it calls you to not also live in a world of excuses which is it's a whole different mindset so it means that when you don't feel like it and you don't feel good or you're hurting or you didn't sleep or you had a stomach bug it means you still put in the work and you still show up and no matter what really you show up and you know going into this that best case scenario for 18 weeks you're going to be hurting all the time when football season starts because it's going to be like you were in a train wreck on Sunday and Monday you get up and you work and on some of those days you lose on Sunday and the media and everyone else and you yourself are just pilloried like just destroyed emotionally and physically and on Monday you still get up and you make a plan for the next game in the next week and you put in the work and you do your recovery and you do what you need to do to get your mind body and spirit right so that's the discipline yeah it's really amazing to be around yeah and that's like that's in the worst year it's 18 weeks but we're expecting to go to playoffs in super bowl every year like that so you're going to hurt even longer exactly yeah yeah and that's a good thing and that's seven days a week that's no time off for good behavior <laughs> it's extra time for good behavior. Yeah. Living in a world of no excuses. That is a powerful short sentence. I'm just running it through my mind. What would it be like to live in a world of no excuses? What if I took my favorite excuses and just didn't use them? Doesn't apply. Now what? Comes into that space. Yeah. Hmm. Do you know who Stephen Pressfield is? Are you familiar? I don't. He's a writer. He wrote a book called The War of Art. Mm. It's a little thin book. It's about dealing with a thing called resistance. And one of the things that he talks about, he makes a very clear distinction between a professional and an amateur. A professional gets up and goes to work every day. They get up and go to work every day. If they don't feel like going to work, they still go to work. It's another way of saying... No excuses. You go do what you have to do. And you don't complain either. In fact, you're grateful. 
for the opportunity. So yeah, being surrounded by that kind of energy, those kind of patients, that would be really inspirational. It really is. And I feel very grateful and yeah, just incredibly grateful for the community and just the opportunity. And it's like, I just want to show up and be my best self, which means I have to take care of myself all year long too, Mm -hmm. so that I can show up week in and week out because it is a slog. There's no fall holidays with family in the NFL. That's like, now's the time I'm going to see my parents and do podcasts and you know, things like that, because it's going to be wild yeah. and there's not going to be any time. And it could be, it could be two days a week. It could be seven days a week, depending on the week. Exciting. So for those of us who don't treat big league sports, but we sometimes treat, you know, amateurs or people that are just, you know, dedicated to doing what they're doing. Absolutely. Any advice for the garden variety acupuncturist on how to work with people who really attend to performance, dancers, athletes, even people that, construction workers, people who work with their body, they get injured, but they have to do the work or they're not getting paid. Yeah. I'm not an athlete. Like you probably see people who are much more athletic than I am. I'm like, you know what? We're all athletes. If you have a body, you are quite literally an athlete Mm. and you want to do everything you can to keep it moving and going and So yeah, you're going to have to attend to it. So for my, my 75 year old grandmother whose back was tight, who came in because her seven year old grandson is excited about football and it's just the two of them hanging out during COVID. And so she needs to hike the ball and she needs to be able to bend into that position and hike the ball. And she's like, and so the fact that we can get that to happen for her It's like, it's just as exciting really as everything else I'm doing because here she is getting to play with that grandson and have access to that mobility and that motion. And it's great. So, but I would say for you and me, because I'm certainly not ever, I never had the genetics or, or disposition to be a pro athlete myself. I mean, that was just not even in the cards, but I still have a body and I want to keep moving and I don't want to hurt and I want to feel good and live a life of purpose and passion, which all goes better when I'm feeling good. So I would say we have to keep moving and you can't take it for granted. I'm just turned 50, but I noticed about when I turned 40 that I had to actually work for the things that I used to take for granted Mm -hmm. in terms of movement and mobility and strength. And so I take classes and I go to the gym when I don't feel like it. And I work with the trainer and I do those things. And I really recommend to all my patients that they do that. And also that they work with someone because you don't see your own issues. You can't. I mean, you're just living with your compensation patterns. Mm -hmm, You've adapted mm -hmm. to them because we're adaptable and we're like, oh yeah, I used to be able to sit this way. And now I can't, I used to, you know, you even forget that you used to, that you watch your four-year-old granddaughter and you're like, oh yeah, like I used to jump on the trampoline and land flat. Now I'm worried I might like, I might never get up from that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But 
it's like, so fighting, you have to kind of fight for your, your mobility and your strength to keep going. And I, so I'm, I'm willing to fight for myself. And it seems like the patients that I'm attracting to me are ones that really that matters to them. They want to move in life. They want to feel good. And so it's fun to work with that patient population too, that are not pro athletes, that, but just they want to be healthy and do fun things, whether it's hiking or even just walking their dog without pain. Right. We're playing with your grandkids. I saw a woman first started treating her before COVID and only recently saw her again after several years. And it's so wonderful hearing that she can pick up and play with her grandchildren. Because when I first saw her, she couldn't pick up her grandchildren. And to know that, yeah, I can pick my kids up and love on them. Like, oh my God, a few needles. Amazing, right? It is amazing. And that is so fun. I have grandkids that are four and two, and I love nothing more than to get in the trampoline with them and play with them. And and every time I do, I'm so grateful that my body is happy doing that too, because my spirit is so happy doing that mm-hmm. and love it. So you talked about after the age of 40, mm-hmm. even more so after 50, and I got news for you after 60, trust me, it continues. Yeah. You got to work for what you used to take for granted. Yeah. So are there any particular practices besides going to the gym and having a trainer that you found to be really helpful for yourself? So for me, I really am a big fan of Pilates and classical Pilates. And I like to have work with someone who calls me out on all my little cheats. That helps me a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I also am particularly enjoying kettlebell strength training, which has been fun to get into and learn. And that's sort of like a whole body workout in one. And then I've got two dogs. And so walking with them keeps me pretty happy (laughs) too. But yeah, I have a body that tends towards blood stasis and inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't move, I really don't feel good. If I eat the wrong things, I feel I get very inflamed joints everywhere, muscles, tendons. So for me, it's like, it's really a requirement. But, and I understand like a lot of people don't have those restrictions, but I do see as people age, it's really seems to be better for the ones that keep moving. But I would say to my patients, do what's fun for you. Like if you always wanted to try salsa dancing, go take some classes, go get into that. Like if you wanted to do archery or like go learn how to do that, like whatever it is, like have it be fun. Cause otherwise it's just going to turn into a slog that you don't want to do and you won't do. Yeah. I've had so many patients over the years say, well, you know, I should go to the gym and then they give you that sheepish look. And for years I've asked them, it's like, well, do you like to go to the gym? And they're like, no. Yeah. Don't do that then. Like, well, <laughs> it's like, else. well, then don't do that. <laughs> like, what do you like to do? Yeah. It's so liberating because so often in our particular culture, it's like, well, get fit, go to the gym. Well, no. I mean, yes, get fit. But there's so many ways to get fit. So many. Besides going to the gym. Yeah. I think being in community or doing something fun for you, whatever the fun is, it's definitely, I mean, I've done yoga, I've done martial arts, I've done swimming, soccer. <laughs> like I seem to keep changing it up periodically, but that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's great. 
How long have you been doing acupuncture now? So 2015. Since 2015? Yeah. What's the most surprising thing that you've discovered about acupuncture since 2015? I think the thing that for me is just constantly drawing my attention and excitement in acupuncture is one that things can change instantaneously. Things that I think, oh, this is a yin degraded, like things are broken down on the yin level materially. It's like, and you think, well, this is going to take a long time to heal. And in so many cases, those things heal quickly. And then at the same time, something like maybe even in one treatment. And then at the same time, things that I think, oh, this will be easy. That's like often the case that then stumps you. And so I guess there's like a certain humbleness that I don't know what's going to happen when I put a needle in. And so I'm really trying to pay attention mm-hmm. to that, to what's going on and try to get out of my head with it and be present because I definitely don't know. Yeah, there is that ever-present companion of the unknown that walks with us in the work that we do. When you're being present and attentive, mm-hmm. and that makes sense to me, you know, I mean, even... I think it was in aging they talk about the kind of presence you need to put a needle in. Yeah. So there's that. There's just being present. Are there other things that you are attending to when you're doing the needling, when you're checking to see, has this connected with a patient? So I believe it's in the Neijing where they talk about as soon as the energy changes in the needle and in the tissue around it, like pull that needle out. Mm. So that needle's done. So I'm feeling like the layers of now I'm through the skin. Now am I near a blood vessel? What does that feel like to the person? What does it feel like to me? Sometimes I'll feel something right before they feel something. And like, like say, it's just, it seems like such a fascinating communication with someone's body. And so I really do pay attention to the quality of the tissue, how it's being receptive to the needle. Like if it's, if there's like a block as I'm trying to put the needle in, and then I will often just pause there and feel the tip and see, is the tissue wanting this needle more deeply in there? Like if my target tissue is like, say, if I think the level of stagnation is at the level of the periosteum or the bone, then, and I'm trying to go to that depth, is the tissue okay with that? Is it letting me in? And sometimes if I wait for a moment, it does let me in, like maybe in the plantar fascia area. First, it seems hard, and then it will open up and sort of just soften around the needle. So yeah, I'm very attentive to what's happening at that tip of that needle. And then, you know, how's that person's breathing while I'm doing that? Mm -hmm. The other day I had a patient And I put the needles in and I connected the stem and I turned on my Juve red light therapy that I have in my treatment room. And it's an infrared and red light therapy that the 49ers use and they gifted me with one. So I have it in the treatment room, turn it on. It seems to help with mitochondrial function, muscle recovery, immune support, whatever. People like it. 
And so I turned it on and I noticed this patient's breathing really radically changed. And I said, I just want to check in and see how you're doing. He's like, I'm okay. I'm like, I just, let's uh, talk to me about it. What are you feeling? And he said, well, I'm having, it's red light. And he said, I'm having, I'm experiencing childhood trauma of religious trauma of going to hell, but I can do it if the light is good for me. And I was like, turning the light off. Like I'm trying to work with your nervous system. And so this light might be good for other people. It's not good for you. So for what we're doing here today, I mean, maybe, maybe the kid needs to release that trauma, but on that day, that's not what we're after. Like it was my first time seeing him. And so when I say, I don't know what's going to happen when I put a needle in someone, this cat had this old trauma come up and then I just sat with him for a while and just, you know, watched his breathing and listened to him. And then, and then I said, you know, I'm going to take all these needles out. I think I had four or six needles in something like that. I just pulled them all out and he, you know, was struggling with, well, I need to have this. This is what's good for me. And I just kind of let him have his experience and held kidney one and liver three and just kind of felt just kind of connecting with him in that way. And and afterwards, he texted me the next day and said he slept really well for the first time in a long time and he had more energy. I think it was in the pull-up that he he was one side of his body had felt weaker than the other and now he's able to do it evenly and he had no problem with his motion and he was really struggling with where am I going to go in life? Should I go to acupuncture school? Should I be a massage therapist? And he said he knew what he was going to do. And so I think whatever energy in that case needed to move, needed to move in that way. But if I hadn't been paying attention, I don't think that would have gone well for either one of us. Thank you for that. That is so delicious. <laughs> so often people come in and it's like, I'm going to grit through this. I trust you as a professional. You know what you're doing. I'm going to grit through this. I may not be comfortable, but it's air quotes here, good for me. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll grit my teeth and get through it. Well, that kind of grit can be really helpful in certain parts of life at certain times, but not when we're doing the work that we're doing. Yeah. Because we're actually inviting, we're evoking, we're inviting something already in the patient to come out yeah. and express itself. It really needs to be invited. Like just that red light, like, okay, that's reminding me of hell. Like, okay, well then today, no. But no doesn't mean no forever. No might mean just no for right now. Yeah. But so important to pay attention to that right now. And even taking the needles out, what a sign of trust. You know what? This isn't right for you. I'm attending to you. No, this isn't right. No, it's okay, really. Do it. Put more needles in. More is better. It's like, no, we're going to follow you. And this is a young man who's a strength and conditioning coach and a trainer and training a lot of intense people and kind of needing to be the alpha in the room mm -hmm. in his work. And so for him to be vulnerable to even share that with me, and I've just felt like that was a huge thing right there. I also tend to tell my patients, I may be the practitioner here, and I do try to be the young partner in the relationship with them. And so that seems to be the appropriate relationship for me. However, I tell them they are the expert in their own body. They live in it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
They know more about their body than I do. No matter what my perspective is, they still are the expert more than me, more than their doctor, more than anybody else. And I think a lot of people think that I'm going to come in there and be the expert about their body. And I'm not. I mean, I've got a perspective and that's it. And my perspective might change as I get to know them and as we work together. So that's a deep respect that you give your patients. Yes. Because I think we're all on our own spiritual path. And so if he, that one kid needed to experience that, that's fine. I've got a player on the 49ers who is terrified of needles. And he constantly says, I need to come see you. I know it's going to help me. And I say, for you, no, you need to see this other person who does soft tissue work because for your nervous system, it's not a traumatic experience when you work with them. Mm. He's like, but I know it will help me. And I said, this is someone who had to be held down as a child to do their vaccines, childhood vaccines, Mm -hmm. like was literally strapped to a gurney. I'm like, for you, no, but we can do other things. Like, One of the things I really appreciate about the medicine we practice is we are invited to use that kind of respect. Each person so uniquely different, right? One person might need a dozen needles. The other one, like you said, actually no needles for you would be more helpful. There's other things we can do. Yeah. And luckily we have such a nice toolbox in Chinese medicine. Well, Jenny, I so appreciate that you've made some time out of your busy schedule to uh, join me today. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we wind it down for today? I would say this. Wherever you are in your study of Chinese medicine, whether you've been doing it for 30 years or or not, and you feel like you just maybe don't know enough, (laughs) I feel that way too. And I'm constantly studying the old books, the new books, Western books, Eastern books. And at the same time, we have something that we do know and that we can offer people that is like nothing they're getting anywhere else. And it's really beneficial. So I would say trust the medicine because there's something so beautiful in that. And then it will be a lifetime of learning and study and who you are as a practitioner today, hopefully you'll be radically different in 10 years just based on what you learn from each patient. And that's how I'm approaching my practice too, just just constantly trying to grow and be better, but also recognizing that what I'm offering now seems to really be supporting people in a beautiful way. Well, I think there is some truth to that thing about the more we learn, the less we know. Yes. And we do get to practice and learn our entire life through with this, which not a bad way to go through life. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Jenny's phrase about the perspective of top athletes and those who excel, that they live in a world of no excuses. I wonder if I could have heard that wisdom at a younger age, and if it might have ever so slightly changed the trajectory of my life. How often I've let myself off the hook or put the blame for my circumstances on someone or something else. There's a meme on the internet about whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. 
We do face difficulties in life, no doubt about that. Much of it is out of our hands, but how we use our agency, and if we know our values and live by them, then our spirit has some room to unfold in this world. I thought in this conversation we'd probably talk about the mechanics of treating the body. This is East Asian medicine we're talking about here, and so I should not have been too surprised that we'd steer into the influences of the Shen and how the spirit that we bring to things is inseparable from what we do. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.